You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Well, good morning. So glad to have you with us if you're online, and great to have you guys here. We are, as Jonathan said, wrapping up a series called Involved, Refusing to be Passive in an Aggressive World. And so let me recap where we've been over the past few weeks. Uh, Daniel Lung helped us that first week to become involved in our communities, and they shared the story of how um, through relationship, they're reaching out into their community. And he had a great line that evangelism is not transactional, it is relational, and that we need relational vehicles to journey with people. It was a great week. Then our second week, John Kirkby, do you remember him and his beautiful British accent, shared with us his story and how he came to faith and how that set him on a a course change where eventually brought him to the place of forming Christians Against Poverty, which is an amazing organization helping people who are battling systemic poverty. And the, the truth was, we're getting involved in serving and we're gonna partner together with CAP and help out a lot of Torontonians. Were you here last week? Uh, Pastor Jonathan spoke about becoming um, involved in lowering the drama in our lives, and you either live with the drama or you are the drama. So we need to get it together, people. Listen to the example that Jesus showed us, Jonathan taught last week. If you didn't see it, you need to go online and, and check it out. Great teaching time. This morning, I want to talk to us about being involved in bridging the gap between people who don't know Jesus and Jesus. And there's a really good example of this in the Gospels. Turn with me to Matthew chapter nine, and we're gonna look at a great example, unpack a story, and then give you a few truths. Matthew chapter nine, verse nine. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth. Not a lot of details here, a little bit sparse, But we do know the profession of this man. He was a tax collector, which means that he sat at a booth, possibly at the entrance to the town, maybe at the harbor front as ships were coming in. And if you owed taxes, he was the first person you saw. And people were not much different than we are. They hated the tax man. They hated giving up their good hard-earned money to the tax collector, and especially one who would work for the overseeing government at that time, which would have been the Romans, a government they did not elect, who ruled with a heavy thumb, and they liked their taxes. You think that we are taxed? They had land taxes and house taxes and personal taxes, and it was always tax season. And so the fact that they had to give their money to the tax collectors, people hated tax collectors. Plus, um, it's not included in this gospel, but if we were to travel over to Luke and Mark, they tell us that his name actually was Levi, son of Alphaeus. He was from the tribe of Levi, which was an elite Jewish tribe which got me thinking, why would a a good Levitical Jew ever want to be a tax collector? And, And let me tell you this truth about tax collectors. They were not only hated because they collected taxes, they were often crooks. They would take more than what was due to them. 
Topher on the side. And the thing was, people were helpless to oppose them because Rome didn't care as long as they got what was due to them, collect what you want. So people despised the tax collectors and they were, they were so hated that if they were to try to give alms in the temple for the poor, their money was deemed as dirty. We don't want it. And the word of a tax collector in a Jewish court was thought to be unacceptable. So why in the world would a good Levitical Jew like Levi ever turn his back on his faith, his community, um, what had been ingrained in him from, Le from a child? Why would he leave that to work for the Romans? That makes no sense whatsoever. Trust me, no Jewish parent ever gave birth to a son and, and held him up and went, oh, could he just be a tax collector? No, that did not happen. So what pushed him off the edge? What made him become so disengaged to, to, to be shunned from his family, the synagogue, his friends, nobody associated with a tax collector. That was having the, the um, social seal of death on your life. It was like having social leprosy. What did it? What pushed him aside? What, what bad experience did he go through that this Levi would take this a critical step in his life to be a tax collector? Just make no sense. And for the truth that Jesus was walking along and would actually stop to engage with a tax collector, trust me, nobody was shooting the breeze with the tax collectors. So for Jesus to stop, that must have raised some eyebrows for sure, but look what else would happen. Jesus says, follow me, and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. You have to know that when Jesus says, follow me, um, in the Greek, it's the word akolotheo. We'll unpack it a little bit, but just know this, it is not a mousy, timid whisper. <laughs> Jesus was not saying, hey, meet me later on after dark and we'll connect. It was it was bold, it was like saying, come right now, exclamation point. It means this, to join the master on his walk journeys, do life side by side, to cleave steadfastly in trust and obedience, conform wholly to his example in living, and if need be, in dying. This was all in. To follow Jesus would not be like following someone on social media where you check in to see what they had for dinner last night. It would not be, um, hey, I'm going to go grab a coffee with Jesus. I'll be back in a half an hour. Can you watch my booth? No, it was, I'm handing in my keys and I'm burning my bridges. And trust me, there were no rehires with the Romans. You know, many of the disciples uh, or a few of them were, we know, fishermen. And from time to time, they would go back and fish. It was a totally returnable career. But there were no rehires with the Romans. Once Levi got up to Akolotheo, Jesus, it meant he was done with tax collecting. He was all in. So... You, it, it just makes me wonder 
Why? Why would this disengaged, irreligious, done with my faith, working for the Romans, making great money Jew, leave it all to follow Jesus? Why? Well, for sure, <laughs> Levi knew who Jesus was. Luke 4.37 says that the word about Jesus had circulated through every village. And Pastor mentioned it on his video about cathedral that Capernaum was a bit of a hub, and that's where, where Levi was tax collecting. And so, for sure, when Levi sees Jesus walking towards him, he knew exactly who it was. I don't know, but maybe Levi had even been lurking in the crowds, in the background, because the news about Jesus was, was pretty big in Capernaum. It was everywhere. What news? There was the message Jesus was teaching. Jesus was talking to people about a new kingdom. And as soon as he used that word kingdom, that got people's attention because they were under the kingdom of Rome. And Jesus was saying, I'm talking to you about a new kingdom. He was talking about the kingdom of God that actually would come out of their hearts. But when the Jews at that time heard the word kingdom, they immediately thought, yes, could he be the Messiah that will lead us in the revolution against Rome? So there was the news about Jesus' message, plus crazy things had been happening. Miracles. Demon-possessed people were, were, were totally in their, their right frame of mind. Unparalyzed bodies were up walking around. Leprosy-covered bodies were clean. Jesus was big talk. So I'm, I guaranteed, as Jesus came up to Levi's booth and stopped, he knew exactly who it was. And I'm telling you, for, for not only for Jesus to stop and talk to him, but for Jesus to say, come follow me, to use this intensely commitment-filled word, it must have, for Levi, made him feel like in a long, long time, maybe accepted again, maybe welcomed, because most people wanted to spit on the sandals of a tax collector. They were not ever coming to him with open hands. And when Jesus was saying, come follow me, I think acceptance just washed over his heart. And Jesus was saying, I don't, I don't know what got you to this place. I don't know how disengaged you feel or what happened. I don't know what scandals you're a part of. I, I, and he didn't need to know. But in that moment, Jesus was extending to Levi a do-over, a fresh start. And he said this too, you know what? While we're at it, let's give you a name upgrade. You will no longer be called Levi, the tax collector. I'm gonna call you Matthew. Do you know what it means? Gift of God. Isn't that beautiful? And I like how in Matthew's gospel only, he refers to himself as Matthew. He liked the new name. It was as if Jesus was saying, I don't care if you see yourself covered with shame or regret. I see you as um, someone I want. 
I'm not inviting you to follow me at a distance. I'm inviting you to a kolotheo, which if you wanted to sum that Greek word up, it meant walking with a rabbi and doing life so closely that the dust from his shoes would bounce up on your clothes. That close. I don't want you at, at arm's length, Levi. You're going to be Matthew. I see you as a gift. I want to do life with you. Come on and follow me. And he did. Why else would he have got up so quickly and at such great personal cost to him? He gave up his career, people. Why would he have done it unless in that moment, grace and acceptance and inclusion just sort of washed over his life. And I want to encourage you, if you're listening to me, I don't know if you're sitting at a cafe or you're sitting at home in your pajamas, if you're here within the sound of my voice and you're wondering, wow, the possibility of a clean start, a, a do-over, really? Would, would Jesus give that to me? He comes right up to your booth, right where you're sitting, and he says, come follow me, and I will give you a new start. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has become. At no, at no um, without judgment, without condemnation, just open, welcome arms, and like Matthew, we get a new identity. You know, we used to sing a, a song years ago, there's a new name written down in glory. Do you guys remember that? And it's mine. And you know what it is? That name is beloved. You may see yourself as someone who has deep regrets and, and shame and, and you, you just feel discarded. But if you say yes to Jesus, like Levi, Jesus says, come follow me. And he's going to give you a name upgrade too. Okay, then what happens? Verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. In one of the other gospels, it calls them notorious might have been quite a gang that gathered there. So what happened? Matthew opened his heart to Jesus, and then he opened his network and his home. He thought, if Jesus invited me to be his follower, me, a tax collector, why wouldn't he do it for the guys too? And so he arranges a bit of a, a happy hour, a meet and greet at his home. Actually, one commentary says that Matthew um, arranges his own retirement party. I am done with tax collecting, guys. Come on over. And by the way, uh, Jesus is going to be here too. So you've got good food, you've got Jesus, and you've got company. It's going to be a great setup. Have you ever been set up in a not-so-good way? Ever been invited to a dinner that you were told was free, but it ain't so free? Uh, my grandmother, who I lived with, for quite a few years when I was in my early 20s, was the queen of setups. Not that kind of setup. She would set me up to be the special music at her church. And, uh, you know, I can carry a tune, but I'm not winning the launch for sure. And I always worked Sundays at the ever famous Dairy Queen, and I would get home from work 
at 5 o'clock, 5.30. Church was at 6. I'd come walking in the door, just a hot, greasy mess, you know, hot fudge from head to toe. She'd meet me at the door, all ready for church, purse in hand, going, oh, by the way, uh, I told Sister Beasley that you would sing tonight. <laughs> I ain't singing. And we would have this, this, this fight. Nobody likes to be set up. Have you ever walked into your parents' house and they're on the couch and there are other people there and you're going, oh, why didn't I stay out longer? Ever, ever been invited to coffee with a group of friends? And uh, you think it's all of us and you get there and it's, ooh, it's just you and me. And you're like, ooh, I, I, I gotta go get my amputation done. You know, you're just thinking of, of something that you gotta do. I don't think this was a bad setup. I don't think these guys thought, oh, it's weird that we're getting together with Matthew. I think they hung out all the time. I don't think it was the first time they got together for drinks after work. I think it was just easy for them to come over. And plus, uh, Jesus has no problem being there with them. Look what happens. Because the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders at that time, they get word of this, and what happens? But when the Pharisees saw this, that Jesus... This esteemed rabbi was in the home of, with all these notorious sinners, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? <sighs> Seriously, they, they were just the worst. But what, what, is, what does Jesus do? Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I'm, I'm exactly where I should be. I like to be with people who are far from God. They need me the most. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Do you know what he's referring to? He's making reference to their Old Testament book of Hosea. And Hosea was a prophet who God asked him to marry a scandalously unfaithful woman. It was a bit of a bizarre request. And when she was unfaithful in marriage, God told him, I want you to keep winning her back and I want you to love her and bring her back home. Why? Because God said, how you treat your wife so unconditionally with mercy is how I going to show you how I'm going to treat my people. And so Jesus was saying, that's what this group needs here. They don't need sacrifice. They need mercy. Go home and relearn that. And I think the Pharisees felt dry, to put it bluntly. And I think Matthew felt awesome that Jesus stuck up for him. And I think the notorious sinners overhearing this exchange thought, who is this Jesus, and what has happened to Matthew? Do you see what has happened? Matthew has bridged the gap between Jesus and his friends who don't know Jesus with this one simple, easy dinner invitation. Something remarkable happened in his life, and he thought, Oh, I need to tell my friends, I'm gonna invite them over, we're gonna get together, and oh, I'm gonna invite Jesus too, and the rest would be up to Jesus and them. So 
Here are some thoughts as we sort of wrap this up and, and glean some truths from, from Matthew tonight because I think all of us have people in our lives, just friends, family, they're really great people. I have a whole whack of them. Just awesome people. They've got their lives together, great careers, great families, great, great everything. But what is best and eternal has been pushed to the far sidelines of their lives, right? And they need Jesus. What would happen if I could help bridge that gap for them? And what if, math, using Matthew's example, what if it happened through a simple invitation? I think we can invite. Watch the screens, see what people have to say. My wife and I opened up our homes to kids in the neighborhood. We started inviting them to church. And parents would come to us and ask, what are your church like? That friendship developed to where we would maybe have coffee together. And then from there, we started speaking to give us an opening to talk about the Lord. Like, let's say if they're going through a tough time, they'll be like, do you want to come to church? It's nothing too crazy. Like, you just come and listen, and it's only an hour long. I can pick you up. So when I play basketball every Saturday mornings, I would play with non-Christians and I would have conversations with them about life, asking them how their days are. And when it's appropriate, I would try to invite them to church and just connect with God. Uh, through sharing my stories and testimonies, it allows me to open the doors to invite others. It is important for me that we should be connecting with people outside of church because people have to have the chance of having the sense of belonging. So when you have found me, tell others. It's, it's just as simple as that, but telling, sharing what little faith you have. It's important in my life to invite others because I want to see other people saved. It's like when, when you're going through like a problem, but it's because you have Jesus, you can get through something. And you want people who are suffering to know about that and experience the same joy that you do. Once we have God, He has given us the tools, why not share it and encourage others and, and bring a greater community? Prayer is really important. I don't actually have the words to say most of the time, so when I pray about it, God gives me the words to say. The first thing we'll do is to ask the Holy Spirit to guide me to someone whose hearts are receptive. And so by praying to Him, it gives God a chance to work on our behalf. I think because people have so many perceptions and different ideas of what church is, and something really special about Agent Court um, is that it's really geared towards people who don't know Jesus yet. And if some of them are intimidated and have never been, you can say, you know what, um, there is an online uh, onechurch.to. You can take a look at it and see what it looks like the Sunday before, and then we can go together and however you're comfortable, we can sit in the back, we can go to a Saturday service, or whichever feels comfortable for them. I would explain, I say, I go to church, and this, I go to a wonderful church that uh, non-threatening, wonderful people, the message is beautiful, the worship is beautiful. I'm sure you would, you would enjoy. We just want to make things comfortable for people by doing the small things, just saying hi, uh, praying for them, just offering help when, whenever possible. I find that we, we don't have to do a lot, we're just we're available. Some people aren't ready yet 
to hear about Jesus and it, it's a process. So it's just taking that step and trusting God, but not in our own strength, but in God's strength. Oh, that's just fantastic. They just fleshed it out so well, how to do an invitation. You know, I don't know what it is, but nothing causes anxiety or foot shuffling and eyes lowered in a group of Christians than to start talking about our responsibility to evangelize. I have felt that. I didn't pick it up from them though. And you certainly don't pick it up from Matthew's story. He wasn't coerced into inviting his friends out. He wasn't like uh, Jesus said, first thing you gotta do is evangelize your friends. No, something really remarkable changed in his life. And the first thing he thought of, who can I invite to share this good news with? So who is in your circle? Who's in your network? Who do you work beside every day? Parents. Who do you see at swimming lessons, hockey practice, and gymnastics? They're there. Who, who, who does your hair or changes your oil? Or who, who is in your circle that you're just in natural conversation with? They must like you somewhat. They're an easy invitation to do. And the thing is, Matthew shows us that you don't have to have a script or 10 verses, you don't have to be a, a graduate of an evangelism class, you just have to invite. Matthew was secular, probably a little rough around the edges. I don't know the time frame from when he left the church and became a tax collector. So something had gone on in there, and yet he, he doesn't need to have all his spiritual ducks lined up. He simply invites, and we can too. And we've got two great invitational opportunities coming. Alpha, you ever in conversation with people about faith and you get stumped? It's okay, that's a great place to be. Why don't you bring them out to Alpha and you can be with them and explore faith together. Alpha's starting right after Easter. Easter is a great opportunity to invite people. Did you know that stats say that 82% of people will say yes to an invitation to church if, if invited and escorted by a friend. 8.2 times out of 10, your friend is gonna say yes to your invitation. So we've all got them in our lives. People that maybe they went to VBS as a kid or Sunday school and the last time they darkened a church door was at a wedding or a funeral. Perfect. Invite them out, invite them. Because can you imagine, I, I see some empty spots here. What if everyone, and I challenge them at our Saturday service, clearly challenge them in the 9.30, what if every one of us, child, young adult, mom and dad, grandparent, if you are living and breathing, you must know someone you can invite. What if we walked in here on Easter Sunday morning and there were so many people here that you didn't know, you felt like, am I in the right church? That would be fantastic. Because that meant that people who haven't been in church in a really long time are trying it out because you invited them. Invite. And when they do get here, here, here's what we can do. Two things. Number one, make it a great experience. 
from beginning to end, the, I think that's on us. You know that it's going to be awesome here. Um, Wally talked about worship. He just said, you know, such a great experience here. But you know going somewhere new, you feel nervous. I was on holidays over Christmas, and I went to another church, and I walked in the door, and I thought, oh, man, this is so good for me to feel weird again, because you, you, you feel that when you go somewhere where you've never been. So do our best to make it a great experience. People feel nervous when they haven't been somewhere before. Meet them in the lobby. Take them to the cafe. You know that Fresh muffins and a cup of coffee does wonders to allay the most nervous of souls. You can do that. Uh, you know, they, they said it so well in the video. Find out where they'd like to sit. You may like to be up here in line of my spit, but most people don't. So, you know, be ready to answer any questions. People are raising their hands. Do they need to be excused? Well, like, what's going on? Oh, I see a, some money. Do I make change? Like, you, you have to just think it through. And here's the big thing. Maybe you noticed in the service that they were moved, visibly moved, maybe even a little teary. So you're thinking, oh, yeah, what do you do? You get them in the car on the way home and you power lock the doors. So, have you made a decision to escape eternal damnation? No. Pressuring is never the best presentation that we can do. We want them to come back. Kevin Harney, in his book, Seismic Shifts, he gives this great little story, and I think is just perfect. He talks about a lady and her dog, and someone told her that if she gave that dog a tablespoon of castor oil every day, he would have a beautiful coat and, you know, live a long life. So every day there was a wrestling match with this woman and her little terrier as she mm, pried him, you know, squeezed him, pried him open and got the castor oil down him until one day with a swift little kick, he knocked that bottle out of her hand and he took off and, and so did she to get a towel. And when she came back in the room, what was going on? He was on the floor licking it up. Truth be told, he, he liked the castor oil. He didn't like being force-fed. And nobody likes being force-fed castor oil or faith. So just easy, people, easy. Just, just make it a great experience from beginning to end. Peter, who was also a follower of Jesus, who was known for being a little abrupt, he said... If anyone asks you for a reason of the hope within you, be ready to explain it, but do it in a gentle and respectful way. Remember patches and keep your finger off the power lock. Right? We want this to be a great experience for them. And here's the last thing you can do. You can pray. You can pray. Pray that when these people come in, Imagine how they're going to feel. It's going to be a welcoming. It's going to be a great experience for them. But what ab above anything else do we want them to experience? The presence of the living, resurrected Jesus. Because that's what did it for Levi. When he saw Jesus coming towards him, it was Jesus coming for him. 
It was the possibility of a do-over, a second chance. We want people who have been far from him to experience the living presence of Jesus, especially that Easter weekend. So how does that happen? It happens when you're behind the scenes praying. Ruth Graham said that we cannot convict people of sin, nor can we create a hunger or thirst for God in people. Those are miracles. Miracles are not in our department, but what can we do? We can pray, we can pray, we can pray. And if it feels like nothing took, faith is for many, for most actually, it's a journey. But if we keep inviting and we keep praying and we keep inviting again and we keep praying, who knows what that final twist of the bolt will be in their spirit that they will say, I want to acolotheo Jesus too. I want to do life with him. And wouldn't that just be the very best Easter for us ever? So Matthew, he, um, Levi actually, he has this encounter with Jesus of Nazareth and it, it changed his life. He got a rewrite, got a new name, a new profession, and it was such a, a deal breaker for him that he immediately thought, there are people that I've just got to invite. They've got to know. He bridged the gap between people who don't know Jesus and Jesus with his story and his invitation. And I don't know what happened in that meetup, that retirement, that meet and greet that night, but I do know that Jesus was there and only eternity will reveal how could they not have been changed. And I'm believing it's going to happen for your friends and family as we bridge the gap between Jesus and people who don't know Jesus. So let's pray. First of all, as we pray, let's take out that invitation in your hand and let's pray over it. It's just a piece of cardstock. There's nothing magical in this invitation. But if we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to work through even a card invitation. I know he will. So I want you to be thinking, who is this going to? This is not for Aunt Ethel who goes to the church down the street. She knows Jesus, that's awesome. This is for someone who is far from Jesus, who hasn't darkened the doors of a church ever or in a long, long time. Who are you gonna give it to? Shall we pray? So Lord Jesus, you are just awesome. We love you. And, and for many of us here, we've already said yes to you. And it's been a deal breaker in our lives. And I just pray that you would tuck us close to you and that we would do life in step with you. That the dust off your robe splashes on us. It's so close. And Jesus, I'm praying that you know the lives that every one of these invitations represents. So Holy Spirit, we are asking that you would go before us and that you would set up some meetups for us, Lord, that before we even invite, the ground of their heart is already pre-prepared and that you would give us the right words to say. It would just be a simple invitation and that they would say yes. And we are praying that when they walk through the doors here or at Clarely or they click online to listen, may the very presence of Jesus grab their hearts 
May it be a deal changer, a life-changing moment for them, we pray. And we thank you, Lord. We are so grateful that we can partner with you and do this. And we're thanking for you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.